Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com radio. What exactly is bone morphogenetic protein? Can BMP be used as an alternative to amputation for treating severe limb injuries in dogs? Was BMP helpful for Ethel, a tiny Yorkie with a broken leg that wouldn't heal? Find out from a leading expert at UC Davis in this episode of Tripod Talk Radio. And scratching like a three-legged dog. For any tripod, cat or dog. Why do some vets do things that way? Why? So many people don't realize that their dogs are in pain. He's a three-legged dog and he's still pretty good. Hello and thank you for listening. This is Tripod Talk Radio, episode number 86. Today we are continuing our series of unabridged audio from interviews we performed with faculty members at UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine on October 3rd, 2019. Find the videos on the Tripod's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash tripods. Find all Tripod Talk podcasts and let us know what you think of the full audio from these videos at tripods.com slash radio. Dr. Amy Kapakin is Professor of Surgical and Radiological Sciences at UC Davis, and we were fascinated by the work she is doing, which involves regrowing bone with the use of bone morphogenetic protein, or BMP. We wanted to share her story of Ethel, a two-year-old Yorkshire Terrier with a severely broken leg that never healed after multiple surgeries. Amputation was the only option if the BMP procedure was not appropriate for Ethel. So, Renee asked Dr. Kapakin for a Complete details about what happened. We'll learn all about BMP, how it works, and when it can be used. And spoiler alert, little Ethel still has all her legs. Sure. I'm Dr. Amy Kapadkin, and I'm a professor of small animal orthopedic surgery here at University of California, Davis. Um, my position here, I do uh, at least 50% clinical time. I do some clinical research and teaching and service to the university and outside organizations. Now, can you tell us more about Ethel? Sure. So Ethel um, came to us after she, she had been uh, rescued uh, by great owners who um, understood that she had had two fractured front legs, both the radius and the ulna. She's a tiny dog. She weighed about two kilograms. She's a little Yorkie, Yorkshire Terrier. Um, Very scared, very nervous dog that when they adopted her, uh, one of the limbs that had been repaired had gone well. It had a bone plate and had done well. The other one also had a bone plate but had many, many surgeries on it, um, constant failures either of the plate or the bone. So when she found me, she actually found me because she was researching ways of looking at how to repair this leg and and actually have success because pretty much all the surgeries that had been done before were done correctly, but we do have complications. And on these tiny little dogs, the bone plates are, although fairly rigid, they can break, the bone is tiny. And so although everything had been done, standard of care, of redoing it, making it rigid, using autogenous bone graft, all those things had been done in Ethel and had failed in this one leg. And the owner was very intent on trying to find a solution. 
and she had found something online that in the University of Glasgow they were looking at some sort of um, mesenchymal regenerative treatments uh, for limbs that failed in bone healing. And so at the time, she was ready to go to um, Glasgow, but they said, well, there's someone in California, you live in California, there's someone in California doing work. So that's how she got to me, and the way we got involved with bone morphogenetic protein is that uh, one of our uh, dental surgeons here, Dr. Arzi, and, and also Dr. Pastrati, uh, they worked with uh, Dr. Reddy, who's actually the very first person who discovered how to take bone morphogenetic proteins and produce them. He is at University of California, Davis. And they were working on regeneration of bone for cancer patients of the jaw. Okay, so they had successfully used it. Um, by resecting large pieces of the mandible or maxillar and then rebuilding that with bone plates and bone morphogenetic protein on a scaffold. So we had decided that we were going to try this in long bones and because it's only research product, um, had to get approval, which we did from the company and why we started using it in some of these patients that standard of care, multiple surgeries have not worked in. So that's sort of how Ethel got here. Uh, to us and how she found us. So specifically with Ethel, she was a challenging case. One, she only weighed, she weighed less than two kilograms. And she was a very nervous dog, very excitable dog. The owner said it's almost impossible to keep her quiet. And I explained to them that was going to be part of the recovery. And that what had happened was she was, uh, her radius was so tiny by the time they came in here her and the distal part of the radius was virtually gone, the bone resorption. These are usually bones with very large bone gaps. Um, and, you know, I, had, I knew I would have to put the plate across to her metacarpal bones. What happens to dogs that don't use bone is the bone starts disappearing. So her carpal bones had started resorbing. Her metacarpals were tiny. It, it, we call it disappearing bone disease. You know, just when you don't have weight bearing, the bone disappears. And so she had that problem, and I was very concerned that her metacarpal, I knew I had to put the bone plate across there, uh, basically fuse the carpus. The metacarpals were so tiny, and the bone quality was very, very poor. So my concern was that the bone plate would not hold. Um, bone morphogenetic protein, we've been very successful at producing bone, but it also, you need stability of the area. And so I gave her a very guarded prognosis because um, Ethel at the time was our smallest dog. She's not now. We've done two smaller dogs. Um, but she, at the time, she was our smallest patient with probably some of the worst bone that we had seen. And she took that chance and said, no, I still want to go forward. And we had discussed, and Ethel was really my very first patient that I said, you know what? If we're going to have success, we've got to keep her in the hospital and keep her confined because you're telling me you can't. And so the, we made that agreement, and we went forward with the surgery. We were able to get the bone plate on and uh, use a large scaffold with the bone morphogenetic protein and keep her in the hospital and teach her to be a good dog, <laughs> which she learned, and uh, it was ultimately successful. So that Ethel was sort of our first patient. We said, okay, you know, now we'll take the next big challenge on because she was quite small 
And once again, dogs can get along with a fused carpus. You can put a bone plate across. It's not our first line, obviously, but it certainly can be done that way. What is the actual name of the procedure or technology you used? Well, the procedure really is you're fixing a fracture. Um, standard of care, and I should make this clear, standard of care is autogenous bone graft when you have missing bone or if you have small gaps or you haven't had multiple failures. Um, and it's basically bone plating with regenerative um, help from a scaffold with bone morphogenic protein. And so, uh, you know, it's not really any special procedure except for the fact that regular grafting hasn't worked, so we're using an, a different type of product. And where are the proteins from? What are they derived from? So, yes, they are uh, removed from, from bone, and we use um, RH2, BMP. There are different BMPs out there. And, you know, not to get too technical, but they are really precursors to make mesenchymal stem cells uh, react to produce either cartilage or bone. And whether cartilage or bone or sufficient bone and cartilage gets produced has a lot to do with surrounding cells, dosage. It must be on a scaffold. There's many, many technical aspects of it because it has to be used wisely. You know, it's not one of those things where you can just inject it or using more is better. In fact, that's how it got in a lot of trouble was incorrect dosing. And luckily, because of our dental service here that had used it, we had worked out the appropriate dosing that was highly successful without causing excessive bone production, which is almost just as dangerous as no bone production. Mm. So what should pet parents know about this technology? Are, is Davis the only one doing it? Are there other mm -hmm. institutions out there who are doing it? So I think what's really important is that bone morphogenic protein is not commercially available for veterinary patients. Uh, it is extremely limited in human surgery. There were um, some setbacks when it was first used in the spinal industry, uh, in, well, in the human spine surgery. Uh, FDA pulled it off the market, um, and it is on the market for very, very limited, very, very specific procedures in human surgery. Uh, we, as far as I know, we are the only veterinary clinic institution in the United States that has access, okay? And once again, it's on uh, research um, contract. Uh, we can't send it out, so the cases have to come here. Now, in Europe, there are a few um, groups that I think have access, so that it's out there, but um, in the U.S., there's really not sufficient access to it. And so I make that quite clear. And once again, it's not standard of care. It's standard of care is this is for those cases that have failed. Many of the cases that come here have had five, seven surgeries with chronic failures uh, with standard of care already. So these are not for the routine fracture cases. Mm -hmm. And who's the ideal patient? <laughs> the ideal patient is... Um, a dog that uh, the owner feels they really want to keep the limb. Uh, it, you know, obviously we've we've pushed the envelope. We've had one kilogram dogs now. Um, it's a, an owner who really is tolerant of leaving the dog in the hospital potentially for a month to six weeks, uh, especially if they can't control the dog. 
and someone who is willing to take risks and have setbacks. Um, the last two patients I did had complications even after the BMP and had to have second surgeries. Ultimately, they did fine, but they have to be prepared that, you know, everything we do is not, quote, standard, and so we have to accept that, you know, we are always trying to push the envelope on this to save the limb, that it could fail. I mean, I always tell people it could fail. I don't promise success. I mean, we've been incredibly lucky with our success. Out of all the patients we've done, um, one dog, years later, that they finally decided to remove the limb because the dog was having chronic infection problems um, and they didn't want to go through more surgery. But other than that, we've been, so far, 100% successful. That's great. And how many dogs? So I haven't counted recently, but it's, it's over 30, maybe 40 patients have been treated. Do you ever see it being used in cats? So um, once again, you know, we, we're sort of using it off-label. Cats are very off-label. Uh, there was one cat we tried it on, and that cat was successful. Once again, you know, we have owners sign uh, when, we don't u- when we use it in cats or, or we used it in one alpaca. Uh, we have them signed because it is very off-label, and I can tell you it's been successful in both. So this is clearly still in a research phase. Would you see this becoming more widely available in this kind of time? I think we would love to see this widely available. You know, we know it's successful in these clinical patients. Obviously, it could be terribly abused. Um, meaning that it shouldn't be really the first line. It's very expensive. If you were to buy it, it's $1,000 an ounce. Uh, it's, um, if used incorrectly, it can cause severe problems. That's what happened in the human field. They were using it in spine fusions. They put too much. Uh, so much bone grew. People could not uh, swallow or breathe through the trachea and esophagus. People died from it. So there's no question, you know, it has to be used properly. And, you know, it's not a product that's right out of the bottle that you just use. There, you know, Dr. Arzi personally takes the responsibility of aliquoting it, making sure everything is done sterilely and, and correctly. Um, so it's not like you take an injection and you just put it in. It's not quite that simple, but it has huge potential. I'd love for it to be on the market because right now we, you know, many times there's very qualified surgeons who have to send these cases here. It's not that they can't do the same thing I'm doing. It's the question of we're not allowed to send it out, so they have to send the patient to us. And um, it would be great if others could benefit. You mentioned a plate and a scaffold. What is the actual logistics of how it is applied and and done? So... um, Standard surgery where you take a non-union, you have to debride the bone back to bleeding bone. You must have adequate bleeding bone um, to make this work well. Uh, Usually that leaves you with quite large gaps. Most of these dogs have large gaps already. Um, Then it's applying an appropriate implant for the right size. Uh, That's stable enough, uh, just like you would for any fracture. And then we um, go ahead and sterilely prepare the aliquot of the BMP onto the appropriate size scaffold, sterilely, cut the scaffold to what we want. It's a compression-resistant matrix. And then we press-fit it in the defect, okay? 
Um, you, you also have to handle it very carefully because, you know, once you contaminate instruments or your gloves or anything with this, pretty much everything you touch will turn to bone. So you have to handle it carefully. Uh, you know, it can induce even soft tissues to turn to bone. So, you know, you, you do need to handle it quite carefully. And then, you know, with closure of the wound can sometimes be a challenge. These dogs have had many surgeries and there's not a lot of soft tissue surrounding distal limbs. You know, so in the last patient we did, we actually had to do a skin graft, which was the very first time we tried that in a little one kilogram dog. And, uh, you know, to close it, because it has to have a closed environment. It can't be used in an open fracture. It has to be able to be closed. And final question, what is the material of the scaffold itself, and does it become bone? Well, no. The scaffold is there to hold the bone morphogenetic protein in place to start to form bone. The scaffolds are usually gone in about four weeks. They just disintegrate and um, it's, uh, you know, once again, it's, it's, it's there strictly to hold the BMP. It is somewhat resistant to compression, which is designed so that it's, you know, firm enough where it's, it helps give some scaffolding there without just completely collapsing down and then getting only the bone morphogenetic protein in one little area. It needs to be able to hold its shape for enough time for the BMP to work. That's fascinating. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Oh Hopefully it was helpful. Many thanks to Dr. Kapakin for the wonderful work they are doing there at UC Davis. Find our edited video interviews from our visit on the Tripods YouTube channel at youtube.com slash tripods. Stay tuned for more complete interview audio from our visit and find all Tripod Talk Radio podcasts at tripods.com slash radio. He's a three-legged dog and he's still pretty good. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts. And claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com slash podcast.